passage this morning comes from Luke chapter 4. We're studying the book of Luke for some time, um, just beginning really, and Luke chapter 4, page 859 in your blue Bible, if you have a Bible there. Um, just wanted to say thank you for Caroline and especially the volunteer leaders of Young Life. I did Young Life for 15 years, 13 of it at New Hanover High School here in Wilmington. And I think you can imagine how hard it is to not know any high school student and walk on the campus, walk into a football game and sit in the student section or walk into the cafeteria. And I remember uh, coming to New Hanover the very first time, 1989, fall of 1989, and I had replaced a leader that somebody liked and so I came in the very first time, walking to the high school, walking down sort of a sidewalk to the uh, cafeteria, which is intimidating, most probably the most intimidating place to walk into. And this sophomore girl comes up to me and says, are you the new Young Life guy? I was like, yeah, like she knows who I am already. I wish you weren't here. <laughs> and then she walked away. You know, it takes a lot of courage to just keep going. I, I considered a career change right at that moment. A couple years later, I walked onto the high school campus. I was trying to get a, a camp form signed by a kid. And I said, hey, I'll meet you in the back of the school where he hung out. And he was coming towards me, and I can tell he didn't have his signed piece of paper, which is frustrating. But he had a friend with him who I'd never met. And I said, hey, uh, got your camp form? No, no, no. I'll come to your house today and pick it up. And this guy's next to him who I've never spoken to. I've never seen this guy. And I said, hey, your friend's going to camp. We've got an extra spot. You want to go to camp? A four-letter word, camp. That was his first introduction to me. I don't think it was anatomically possible what he was suggesting. (laughs) But nonetheless, that was his greeting to me. I mean, what do you do at that point, right? I mean, you just, just like, you got to know you're loved. And you got to let that love go through that very steel barrier. Maybe you want to come back the next day and find this guy. He ended up going to camp, oddly enough, which is another story, but great story. Luke chapter 4. I won't tell you about some of our conversations. Um, Luke chapter 4. Jesus is going to his hometown here. Luke launches his ministry, uh, or Luke has Jesus in his gospel, launches ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. And let's go back to verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. So this is the end of the 40 days. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, specifically to his adult hometown called Capernaum. And report about him went throughout all the surrounding countryside, and Jesus taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of Jesus and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, a prophet is, is, accept, is not acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth, I will tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up in three years and six months and a great famine came over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the people in Israel, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove Jesus out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. This isn't the sermon. This is just like an appetizer. Let's say that. When Jesus launches his ministry, Luke has him launch it in Nazareth. He's already been doing some stuff in Capernaum. That's why they say, hey, why don't you do some of the miracles we know you've done in Capernaum. But Luke wants to start it in Nazareth. And so Jesus comes to Nazareth. Nazareth, and he does a lot of things. He preaches, then he goes back to Capernaum, and then heals. And then in Luke chapter 5, which we'll get to in a few weeks, he calls his first disciples. But before we take a look at the visible ministry of Jesus, his public face, I want us to make sure we understand the, the taproot 
that's li- that lies underneath. Because this is going to be key in, in Nazareth, but every place he goes, and I think it can be key to you, which is why I wanted to mention it here. The taproot is in Luke chapter 3, verse 22. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven. This is the voice that Jesus hears. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. The, the word beloved here, it, it implies a permanent status. It's not something that's just happened. It's not something because of what you're going to do. No, it's a permanent status. This is your permanent identity. You are beloved by God. So before Jesus preaches, before he heals anybody, before he calls his first disciple, God wants him to know he's beloved. He is beloved. He's beloved by almighty God. That's the taproot. So that when Jesus goes out into to the visible ministry and gets nearly thrown off a cliff and eventually is taken out, out of town and crucified, he has a taproot that stabilizes him, that, that enables him to keep moving forward in the face of difficult circumstances. And that taproot that he knows, what he hears every morning when he gets up in the morning for three years is, I am a beloved son of God. Imagine the fuel the courage that gives Jesus every day of his ministry. The most important person in the world, the most important person in the universe has said out loud, I love you. I'm crazy about you. And it's not, it doesn't depend on anything that you do today. It's before you do anything, I love you. That's not going to change no matter if you fail or you succeed today. I just need to have that be the taproot for your soul. Now, a little sliver of an example. I'm the youngest of four children. I have three older sisters. So do you think I was spoiled, I mean, at all? Does that come to your mind? My dad died when I was four. So now I have a mom, three sisters, and I'm the only boy. So I'm not saying my mom didn't love me before, but man, it skyrocketed. Of course, my, my love for my mother skyrocketed too because she was the only parent left. And from four to 22 when she died, she was crazy about I'm not saying she didn't get tired of me. Don't get that idea. But she never tired of loving me. And it was so evident. And I cannot begin to explain to you the taproot that gave me when as a middle school student or a high school student, and you realize, hey, the world's a lot crueler than you thought it was in third grade, the, the st- stability that gave me so that when I failed or people made fun of me and all the circumstances happened, I was like, I don't care. My mother loves me. 
If you're not crazy about me, that's okay. Because the person I'm most crazy about is crazy for me. The sweetest, some of the sweetest words in the Bible. 1 John 3, Behold the great love of God that he has lavished on you. That we should be called the sons of, and, or daughters of God. So here's what I want you to hear, and maybe afterwards you can just go home. It's a permanent status. It doesn't have anything to do with what you've done. It doesn't have anything to do with what you might accomplish. You are permanently, forever, from eternity, beloved by Almighty God. And what I hope that helps you have is a tap. That no matter the external circumstances of your life, that stabilizes you in a way that nothing else can. Let's pray. Lord, for some and maybe most, We need the love of God spoken over us because we have so many voices. We've tapped into other root systems that don't actually hold us. And so may we hear these words, not just spoken over and for Jesus, that John reminds us they're spoken over and for the Son's and daughters of God. Thank you for loving us permanently. Amen. Okay, that's not the sermon. And like I said, some of you just would be like, okay, I'm just going to think about the rest of the time, Paul. That's okay with me. Luke chapter 4. I want to try to just answer two questions this morning from this text. It's such, a, it's such a deep and helpful text, and there's so many ways to kind of go at this. But I just want to come at it from two questions. What's the main thing Jesus came to do? Secondly, what's the main thing Jesus is looking for us to do? Jesus came, he, had, he does a lot of things, but he has a main thing. And there's a lot of things we can and should do, but what's the main thing Jesus is looking for from us? Those are the two questions I want this text to help us answer. You've probably heard the leadership quote, the main thing is to keep the main thing, what? The main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the reason that's a leadership quote is because when you get into leadership, there's lots of things you can do and probably a lot of things you have to do. But you have to remember there's a main thing. 
there's one thing that if you get distracted from or you lose focus on, then you can be doing a lot of good things, but you're going to start having sideways energy. And in a leadership role, you need to make sure you understand and help the people you're leading understand, hey, this is the main thing. This is the main thing that we want to do as a family. This is the main thing we want to happen here at the church. This is the main thing we want to see happen in our business. What's, what's the main thing? And the main thing for Jesus is teaching, is proclam- the public proclamation of the gospel. He does a lot of other awesome things, but the main thing is teaching. And we can go through here. Let's just look at a few passages here, and we can go all the way through Luke, and I'm just going to take you through a few passages. First of all, you see that the devil leaves Jesus. He's departed. He's, he's departed, but he's not done. He's just recalibrating. And then Jesus goes to this small fishing village in Capernaum. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and he sets up his headquarters for public ministry. And he's going around, it says in verse 15, and he taught in all their synagogues and was glorified by God. He's going around to the countryside, it says in verse 14. He's teaching. And when you come to Nazareth, the very first thing we see him do is teach. He gets up on a Sabbath on a Saturday morning. He goes to to the synagogue and he's handed a scroll and he's expected to pick a passage and then explain that passage to the people who have come to hear teaching. Then if you'd look with me in chapter 4, verse 31, Jesus returns to headquarters, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them. See, he goes back, and Luke wants you to make sure to understand he is going to do a lot of other things, but the main thing he's doing is teaching, and the main thing we want to do is pay attention to what what he's teaching. And if you were to read from Luke 31, Uh, all the way down to Luke, verse 31 to verse 44, what you would see is this is like a day in the life of Jesus. And that day in the life of Jesus is he gets up one Saturday morning, he preaches. After the preaching is done, he's met the people in the lobby. He goes to Peter's house and he has lunch. It's very typical. Go home, you have lunch, and they take a little rest and the Sabbath ends at the sunset. And when the Sabbath ends, then all the people who know about Jesus who are in town, they start dragging their diseased bodies or their diseased friends' bodies to this door. Is Jesus here. And for some long period of time, Jesus is healing people. And then very early the next morning, while it's still dark, he gets up to go out to find a place to pray. And we don't know how long he's there, but it's not... It's not too long before the disciples come looking for Jesus. And they say, the town's not going to let you leave. Everyone is looking for you. Now, if there was ever a perfect opportunity, a prime time opportunity to lose your focus, Jesus had been 100% effective in his healing ministry. And they're saying, Jesus, they're all lining up to come back to see you. And in a very shocking way, verse 43, Jesus looks them and says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, for I was sent for this purpose. This is the main thing. 
healing is a good thing. It's a pointer to me, but it's not my main thing. But I, I could get kind of sucked up in this, and, I, and that's not my main thing. My main thing is to keep teaching. And I could go chapter after chapter, but I just want to turn your attention to, and you don't have to turn there, to the very last chapter of Luke. This kind of puts a bookend on it. The very first thing Jesus is doing is teaching in the synagogue, and then the very last thing he's doing is teaching. And you might remember this passage. These two disciples are on the road, this dusty road to Emmaus. They've followed Jesus, they've seen him crucified, they've heard about his resurrection, but it's all confusing to them, and they just really can't understand. And Jesus, in some kind of disguised way, comes up and starts walking along the path with them. You might remember the story. Hey, what's going on? And they're like, I mean, you don't know what's going on, everybody knows what's going on, and they try to explain to Jesus what's going on. Imagine that. But they say we're confused. We don't really understand. You remember what Jesus says? Oh, foolish ones. Did you not hear what I taught you? And then in a teaching, in a a class that everyone here would have loved to hear, you know what he did? It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he went back and told them, everything that was going to happen. He's teaching. He could have done anything. He could have revealed himself. He could have flown up in the air and burst into a ball of flame. I mean, there's all kinds of things he could have done. But what, what does he understand? He understands that teaching, the mystery of teaching people the truth about God, that's where the transformative power is. We know this. It's pretty well, well-known parables. The main thing is to teach. The parables of the kingdom are so often about the strange miracle of the teaching of God's word. The farmer sows the seed. You remember that? He goes to bed at night, and he knows not how, but the, the, the soil produces a prophet. I mean, there's something germinating in the seed, in the word of God, that all by itself creates something. Jesus understands this. And so when he comes to... Uh, Nazareth, the main thing he's doing is teaching. And when he unrolls the scroll, and if you know anything about Isaiah, so many passages he could turn to to point to himself. But he turns all the way to uh, Isaiah chapter 61, and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to what? Proclaim. I'm here to tell you something, tell you some news Next line, he has sent me to proclaim. I'm telling, telling you about freedom for those people in captivity. In verse 19, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right now, the Lord is showing up in a very unique way. I'm here to teach you that. I'm here to help you understand that. And then Jesus unroll, puts the scroll back, hands it to the attendant. And in those days, if you could imagine, the preacher sat down and everybody stood up. So I'm for that. I mean, if you want to go back to the New Testament church, that's good by me. He sits down, and in an ultimate mic drop moment, hey, you know the person that Isaiah was talking about 700 years ago? Yeah, I'm him. Of all the things Jesus could have used 
to reveal himself to other thing to other to to other people the main thing he uses is teaching the farmer sows the seed though he knows not how the the soil produces this harvest why because it's not based on the ingenuity or the intellect of the farmer it's based on the seed power of the word of god Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. You know this? Sharper than any two-edged sword, able to penetrate the soul. Your word is not able to do that. A movie clip is not able to do that. A skit is not able to do that. A song is not able to do that. The word of God is a two-edged sword. It gets down to your soul. So many people leave the sermons and say, Paul, I felt like today you were just looking at me the whole time. Why? Because we're preaching from the word of God. It's the, it's the two-edged sword that's getting down to my soul, to your soul. And it says it can judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's God's word that is active, not my word. That's why that's written on, our, on the wall as you walk in, uh, the very first line of our mission statement is to what? Teach the Bible. We're here primarily to teach the Bible. That's the main thing. If we, if we lose everything else, that'd be a bummer. But if we lost that and had everything else, that would be, that would be death. We're here to teach the Bible because the Bible has power to penetrate the soul. Not, not my word, not your word. I say this just to say how easy it is for churches for leaders in the church, including us, to lose the main thing. Not to do something that's terrible, but to do just a lot of good things and lose the main thing. Or to somehow, when you're talking to somebody, think, I just can't wait to give my words of wisdom. You don't even hear the end of their statement because you're so ready to just drop your words on them. You know what would help them? The word of God. That can penetrate a heart, a soul, can judge thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I can't do that. The main thing that the church needs to be about is teaching the word of God. Paul says this to Timothy, you know, be prepared to teach in season and out season. There are all, all kinds of seasons where preaching isn't going to seem that effective. Or there could be other things you might want to use. But don't give up on that. That's the main thing. I had gone out to lunch with a friend. I'm driving up College Road and there's a marquee on a church sign. Which I had noticed. And my non-Christian friend, he looks at the sign and it says, uh, How to handle your finances, I think is what it said. And he kind of shouts at me yes there you go finally this is what he said finally the church is offering something practical something i can use so you know there's so many problems with that and so little time i had left on my drive back see for my friend everything was about optimizing his life you know these people it's not bad. It's just missing the mark of life. 
He, he couldn't see that the most practical thing that can happen to somebody who has a soul in trouble, who knows their soul is chained, the best thing for that person, the most practical thing for that person is to hear about Jesus who can set you free. To hear about Jesus and to say, you can be a son. You can be a daughter. You can be beloved by God. That's the good news. That's what we can never get tired of talking about. That's the thing that has to influence everything good thing that we do everywhere else in our ministry. The main thing for Jesus, a reminder especially for teachers in the church is to keep the main thing, the main thing, telling people the good news about Jesus. Amen? Okay, so secondly, what's the main thing Jesus is looking for from us? His main thing is teaching. There's a lot of things he's looking for, but what's the main thing he's looking for from us? Trusting, trusting. That's the word I would choose. When Jesus' sermon was over, people filed past him at the door. Let's just try to imagine this. Synagogue service is over. Okay, prayer, closing song maybe. He stands at the doorway of the house and people exit. And what do they say? <laughs> Whoa, awesome. They marveled at what he said. And you're a great speaker. I mean, I didn't fall asleep at all during that sermon. I mean, that's incredible. You're amazing. I mean, they had good things to say. But, but something happened. And let's imagine they get into the lobby. And not to Jesus, but sort of a murmuring. Uh, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, it's hard for you to imagine. But just imagine you go by the preacher and say, really great job. But then you get in your car and you begin to pick apart the sermon. I mean, can you imagine doing something like that? I know, stretch your imagination. But this is what's happening. I mean, hey, good speaker, wonderful things to say. I know your mom and dad. I mean, whatever it is. But then as they sort of kind of drift off, it's, I mean, wasn't that Joseph's son? I mean, how, how can he be the servant from Isaiah? I mean, I just can't put that together. And you can at least understand their hesitation but there's something about their attitude that gets underneath Jesus' skin. Because he knows the other part of the murmuring is, you know what, I heard he was going to be here today, and I was hoping for a show. I mean, if he did miracles in Capernaum, I thought for sure when he'd come back to Nazareth, He'd really do the fireworks. You know, we get the July 4th firework effort because we're like the hometown people. And I thought he was going to put on a show. And I mean, he's a good speaker and all, but I was ready for a show. And he feels that. Jesus senses that. He hears this murmuring. I want to stop here and just think for a second. The question is, is, it, is this really God's son? And I thought he was going to put on a show. Whose voice is that? That's the devil's voice. See, he just departed, and he, caught a, he got a new face and a new voice. He's coming back in with the same old temptations. That's not the most important part, but I thought that was interesting. 
We know Jesus does do miracles, but they weren't the main thing. They were signs meant you to get, get you to Jesus. Teaching, not miracles, is the main thing. There's something here about them that they're saying, I'm reinterpreting this. Okay, Jesus, you need to prove you aren't just Joseph's son. You need to do a show so I can believe. Do you see what they're doing? They're setting the terms of their own belief. And I wonder if you've ever done that. God, I mean, I think you're real, but I'm going to put out a little test for you. And if you pass the test, then I'll believe. Ever done that? I have. These are the kinds of people Jesus walks away from. People who want to set the terms of their own belief. Again, kind of a bookend. Jesus is hanging on the cross. People come by, what do they say? He saved himself. I mean, he saved others. Why can't he save himself? If he comes down from the cross, I will believe. Whose voice is that? That's another face. Jesus just put on a show. Does a show engender belief? Sometimes. I mean, sometimes miracles happen and you say, okay, I believe. But if you think about like the Israelites, how many miracles did they see? Tons. And yet they're constantly complaining. A lot of times a miracle creates the hunger for another miracle. So you just want another sign. You don't want a sign. You don't want to go where the sign is pointing. And Jesus feels that. These are the people who are setting the terms for their own belief. And so he calls up two examples. Here's my two illustrations, Jesus says, in my sermon. And these are people they would know about. Let's go back to the, the two main voices of God in, in terms of prophets. Let's go back and pick out one from Elijah and Elisha. And they're like, oh, we know Elijah and Elisha. They spoke the word of God. And do you remember, and you could turn back or just note that in 1 Kings 17, there was this poor starving woman. And she is not a Jewish person. It's interesting that Jesus picks two people that aren't Jewish as examples of people for Jewish people to follow. And she's poor, and, and Elijah, you can remember this, J becomes, comes before SH. So I gave you a little Bible study tool. So it's Elijah before Elisha. I know that gets confusing. No extra, you know, that's just bonus information there. Uh, it goes to Elijah comes. There's this three years of famine. It's in the, it's in the text. And he finds this woman who's not in, in the, she's not in the inner circle. She's not an Israelite. And she, he comes to her and says, hey, what do you have? And she says, I just got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. I'm going to make one last tiny little loaf and my son and I are going to eat it and then we're going to die. She's, she's at the very, very bottom of the poverty scale. And this is what Elijah asked her to do. Now imagine this. Go home, make that little loaf, and what does he say? Bring it to me. 
Mm. Mm. Then, when you go back, the oil won't run out. Remember that? But do you, you feel the test? I'm starving. I've got my son who's starving. I've got enough for one more loaf. And what you're asking me to do is take everything I have and give it to you. She passes the test. 700 years later, this lady that has no name, she's the example Jesus pulls up to push rather kindly but with some energy into the face of these Jewish skeptics. It's not just a poor people problem, it's a rich people problem. So remember this, we did this whole sermon on this, Naaman. What a great sermon, but I can't give it again right now. Naaman, the powerful general from Syria. Remember, he has all the money, he has the ten suits. And what did he want? He came to Elisha and he said, I want to show. Remember that was so, oh, it was so hard for Naaman to not want to show because that's the way he's oriented. And, and Elisha says, no show. The only show is you have to practice humility. You have to go down and wash in the dirty Jordan River in front of all your people. And it says at the very end, and he, he obeyed the word of God. You have to give up everything you have. You have to throw away all of your pride and trust in what Jesus says. That's what he's asking for from us. Luke 6:46 part of what we're memorizing. Why do you call me Lord Lord but you don't do what I tell you to do? So just a question here. And I don't know. But do you do what you know Jesus is asking you to do? I mean, there's sometimes you just go, I don't know what he wants. I mean, that's not what I'm asking. Just you know what's right. It's not one of these confusing passages in the Bible. Do you do it? What was their reaction? Finishes the little illustration, what happens? Rage. They take him out. I mean, imagine this. They leave. Let's, let's not do this today at the fall festival, okay? <laughs> Don't get any ideas. But you walk past me, really wonderful job, and then I come to the fall festival at four. You're going to look for a cliff. Fortunately, there aren't any in Wilmington. But you know, imagine that. Imagine going from really great, glad you're here, great speaker, to we're going to kill you. Why the rage? Well, I'm going to let you answer that one today. It's a good little exercise for you. Why, why the rage? They didn't get they want what they wanted. Was it ethnicity involved with it? 
We don't want to be thought as spiritually poor or needy. Why do you think the rage came upon them? What, that, what might that signal to you about following Jesus at his word? Let's pray together. Lord, we're here to hear your word. And you say, let him who have ears, let him hear. Because even your word sometimes met a steel door, a cold heart. And so would you help us hear today your voice, your question to us, your command of us. Would you stir something up down in our soul and judge our thoughts and attitudes of our hearts? Would you help us hear the words, beloved? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. It was a song.